The text this afternoon is the Word of God as summarized in the Heidelberg Catechism concerning what God teaches about baptism. We find this in Lord's Day 26, page 540. We'll read those questions and answers together. How does holy baptism signify and seal to you that the one sacrifice of Christ on the cross on the cross benefits you? In this way, Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's blood and spirit? To be washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood poured out for us in his sacrifice on the cross. To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ so that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. Where has Christ promised that he will wash us with his blood and spirit as surely as we are washed with the water of baptism? In the institution of baptism where he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned." This promise is repeated where Scripture calls baptism the washing of regeneration and the washing away of sins. After the sermon, we'll sing in response hymn 79. Hymn 79 after the preaching of the word. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In one of our readings this afternoon in John chapter 3, Jesus teaches Nicodemus, who's a teacher of the people of God, he teaches Nicodemus, you must be born again. And this is a common phrase in Christendom. People may refer to themselves as born-again Christians. And yet, this is an idea that chafes very sharply against the sentiment of our Western culture. The idea of rebirth, a new life, it goes against the sense of, of self-pride, self-worth, that most people in, in our circles in society, they would be strongly encouraged to have. People aren't supposed to be told that they need to change. People are told that they should not change themselves, let's say, for the sake of a relationship. The idea is that we should all be accepted exactly as we are. And this is how Generally, human relationships are approached. I must be accepted as, my, as I am, and if that's not good enough for, for you, well then, you know where the door is. 
And this approach makes sense if, if you plan on living the kind of self-absorbed, look-out-for-number-one sort of life that most people seem to want to live. You don't change for people. They need to accept you for who you are, and if you ever are expected to change for someone for the sake of a relationship, well then, you guys are probably setting yourselves up for a lot of disappointment. And the great tragedy here is that this kind of thinking is actually also getting imported into what people call Christianity. That Jesus accepts you as you are, which is true. Jesus accepts you as you are, but they would further teach that there are no further expectations of change. Jesus accepts you as you are and then applauds you and affirms all of your choices, whatever they are, however ungodly and contrary to God's teaching they might be. Jesus will never judge you for who you are because this is just you being authentic you know, to yourself. God loves you and, and he will be very happy that you are being true to yourself. And he wants you to be happy. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. But it gets peddled as if it is. The gospel is actually quite the opposite of that. Yes, it is true. Don't ever forget this. It is true that whatever broken condition you are in, when you are received by Christ, yes, you are acceptable to Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners. Don't forget that. That's what the Apostle Paul says too. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The scriptures are full of examples of people who have the worst reputations. And they are being lovingly accepted and welcomed by Jesus Christ. But that's not the whole story. Because then Jesus comes with actually some very hard teachings for anyone who wants to be his disciples. If you want to be his disciple, then Jesus calls you not to affirm who you are, not to affirm who you are when he found you, but he requires you to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him. Jesus says that you cannot stay as you are, but you have to be born again. You have to change. The one that Jesus accepts with all the imperfections, the spots and wrinkles, the one deeply stained by sin, that person has to die and then be made alive again as a new person. In corporate circles, this is a process that they would go through and they would call it rebranding. When a comp company has a certain reputation that maybe they don't want to have anymore, they want to distance themselves from it, they want to put on a new face for the marketplace and maybe make some new products, expand their clientele, well then they plan a rebrand. They want to be known in this new way instead of this old way. New image for everyone, new values, new goals. Old way is gone. The old way is unsuitable for the kinds of things that lie ahead. And we're very excited for this new thing and we're done with the old thing. <coughs> 
for people who have come to Christ, who have been united with him, it's in baptism that this rebirth or rebranding, it's in baptism that all of this is pictured. Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 1 verse 3 that nobody can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. In verse 5, that that rebirth is by water and the Spirit. By the water of baptism, you are spiritually united to Christ. You are incorporated into Him. Incorporated. You are embodied into Him. United with Him in His death and His resurrection, which is our theme this afternoon, God through baptism assures us of our union with Christ. And then we'll see two aspects of this. First, if we are united to Christ, then we die with Christ. And then secondly, if we are united to Christ, then we also live with Christ. So first, we have to see how we die with Christ. What does death have to do with baptism? Why are, why are these the points of the sermon? If we're talking about baptism, why is, is death and life, why are these the divisions of what we're talking about? Well, death and resurrection is pictured in the sacrament in this way. So I want to read answer 69 and then the first bit of answer 70. So Christ instituted baptism, so this outward washing, that's just what baptism is, it's a, it's a washing with water. Christ instituted this outward washing and with it gave the promise that as surely as water washes away the dirt from the body, so certainly his blood and spirit wash away the impurity of my soul, that is, all my sins. And then the first bit of, of answer 70, being washed with Christ's blood means to receive forgiveness of sins from God through grace because of Christ's blood that was poured out for us in his sacrifice. So, Christ's sacrifice, his work, this is what removes our sins from us. We're filled with sinfulness, but then his sacrifice somehow removes it from us. Just like water washes away dirt from the body, Christ's blood and his spirit wash away the impurity, the sins from our souls. But let's think about what's going on actually when our sins are washed away from us, when our sins are removed from us. We have to understand that when this is happening, it means that there, there is something that used to be at the, very at the very core of our being. Something that was an integral part of who we are or who we were. That's being removed from us. The thing that made us who we were, our very nature, is being removed. If we remember the, the logical flow that occurs in the Heidelberg Catechism, if you think about the first questions and answers about dealing with recognizing the fact that we're sinful and that something has to be done about this and being honest about 
the extent of our sinfulness, the extent of our corruption, if we, if we think about all those things, then we remember that, yes, we were forced to, to look at ourselves in the mirror of the law of God and what is one of the conclusions that we arrived at. Well, we learn that by nature we are conceived and born in sin, that, that by nature we are our greatest inclination is to be against God and against our neighbor instead of being as we ought to be, loving with, with a very holy love. We're so corrupt that we're totally inclined to all evil. That's the core of our being as long as we are without Christ. That's who we are. That's our identity. So if that's removed from us, something that is so strong in our core, if that's removed from us, then really our, our identity, everything about who we are is being removed and destroyed. Christ's blood and spirit wash away all our sins, and that means whatever we were before is being put to death and being done away with. That's what we read in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who are, who are baptized into Christ Jesus... So if we are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, if we're baptized into him, we're being baptized into his death. Then verse 4 says the same thing. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. Verse 5, we have been united with Christ like this in his death. Verse 6, our old nature is crucified. It's put to death. It's buried with him. There's something about us, something very serious and major about us that is, that is being finished. It is being killed. Whoever has come to Christ is being united with him and, and shares in the things that Christ is doing. Christ has died, and we have a sharing in his death. So if we are united with him, well then, we should consider ourselves in a certain way, in a major way, as people who have died. Whoever has been united to Christ, we should consider them as if in a major way, they have died and we have had a funeral for them. And that part of them is not coming back. We have a certain focus with baptism on, on sprinkling and washing. And that is a very sharp picture that we get with baptism. That's one of the reasons why water is used. It's for the washing of our sins. That's what water does. When, we, when we're dirty and we take a bath or a shower, that water cleanses all the, the dirt and whatever else off of us, and we are clean afterward. But we shouldn't forget that it's also good to think of how else baptism is administered. We, we sprinkle in our, in our churches, but there are many churches who practice immersion, and that's actually mentioned in our form for baptism. This is what the sprinkling with or immersion 
teaches us. Sprinkling has a bit of a, has a cleansing, a washing connotation, and immersion does have that too. I mean, that, after all, that's what you do when you take a bath. You're immersed in water. But there's also a very powerful picture of dying and coming back to life. You think of the baptismal prayer. You drowned the obstinate Pharaoh and all his hosts in the Red Sea, but you led your people Israel through the midst of the sea on dry ground, by which baptism was signified. How, how is that? Well, going down into the water is a type of death. It's a water burial. If you think about it, Israel, while they're being chased by, by the Egyptians, they go down into the water and really they should have died down under that water. They should be dead. But they're not. They went under, and they came back up again with a new life, with a new lease on life, with certain things left behind and different things lying ahead. Slavery, slavery to Egypt, that's the old life. True freedom, life with God, is what lies ahead. The old part of their history was gone. It was put to death. They were not slaves anymore. But they were God's special people, a new creation. That's something that we read in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Listen to this. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So just as Israel sort of died down in the water and came back up, they were no longer slaves to Egypt and instead they have been set free. When we are baptized, God is promising that the same is true for you. This is God's pledge. This water is a picture of what's happening, but it's also his pledge. It's his seal that he is putting on you. If you have had water sprinkled onto your forehead, that's like God signing his name on your forehead. Signing, putting his signature saying this is true and my, promise, my promises are sure. That not only for others, not only for others, but also for you. I've given you my word. Your sinful nature has been attached to Christ nailed to the cross and put to death and you have been made clean. Sin has its hold on you as long as you are alive. That's what that means. Anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Sin has its hooks in you. 
As long as you're alive, sin has its hooks in you, and it has dominion over you, and you can do anything about it. But when you die, sin has to let go. If you die, sin has no mastery over you anymore. And that's what we're being taught here. Your death is an end to sin. And this is something that that we get to experience fully in the future when we actually physically die and we are released from that. But this is something that is spiritually true today. That because you have been united to Christ, because you have died with Him, sin is not your master anymore. Christ has provided you with a way to die spiritually so sin loses its power over you. You are able to have dominion over it. You are made alive and you're able to walk in a godly way in that new life. And that's our second point. That if we are united to Christ, well then we also live with Christ. We see this in the second half of the answer, answer 70. What does it mean to be washed with Christ's spirit? To be washed with his spirit means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, right? This new life. God has breathed the breath of life into us once again. To be renewed by the Holy Spirit and sanctified to be members of Christ. And this is the effect of that. So that more and more we become dead to sin and lead a holy and blameless life. This is, this is the other side of the coin in Romans 6 and John chapter 3. Your old nature is not only put to death, but our new nature comes to life. You must be born again, born by water and the Spirit, and you live with this brand new identity now. Just as you are put to death with Christ, so also you are given newness of life. That's Romans 6 verse 4. So in, in that whole passage in Romans, there's the one and then the other. The one and then the other. Death but life. Death but life. If you have been united to him in his death, well, so also you're united to him in his resurrection. That's 6 verse 5. You count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He has new life. So what does that mean for you today? What does that look like in, in your life? Well, if you've been washed, it means that you have undergone a complete rehabilitation, a renovation. That's what renovation means. It means a renewal. It's, it's being made new. You were born at the beginning of your life in the image of your parents, in the image of your sinful ancestors, Adam and Eve. But now you have been reborn, and you have been remade with a new image. You're being made in the image of Christ. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 32. Why must we, why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood does something else too. Christ, re having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us with his Holy Spirit to be his image. We're being remade in the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. 
Do you not know that the wicked and those who remain wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And this is pretty harsh language here. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor nor swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Such were some of you, yes, indeed. That's what we were. God joined you to Christ while you were an adulterer, while you were a gossip, while you were an immoral person. Christ came to save sinners. That's what we were. This is what your baptism testifies to. Even though you, by nature, you deserve none of that, none of the gifts that God has given, guess what? God gave it to you for free. And the thing is, every single one of us is equally unworthy of any of this. I think sometimes we we think we're pretty unique. Like, no one sins like I sin. None of us should think that we are unique in our ungodliness. God says to you personally at your baptism, I promise that as unholy as you are, these benefits are yours. Does water wash away dirt? Yes, it does. Did God ensure that water was sprinkled on your forehead? Yes. You can know that to be true. You even have a certificate of this, that this is something that happened to you then you can be sure that Christ's blood is able to wash even you from all of your unrighteousness. You were were ungodly and completely sinful. You were. But you have been washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified by the blood of Christ. And as Christians who, who are pilgrims, Pilgrims on our way to perfection, on our way to that perfect heavenly city. Well, we know the reality. The reality is that we experience a tension between the remnants of our old sinful nature, which still cling to us, between that and The true, real desire that we have to love the Lord and to follow Him and to live in a way that's pleasing to Him. There's a tension between those two, those two draws in our life. We want to live as we were designed to live. If you continue reading in Romans, this is something that, that Paul so wonderfully expresses for all of us in Romans 7. The thing that I want to do, I can't do it. I keep messing up. 
we fall, we stumble. Being made spiritually alive, it doesn't mean that there was a magic wand and zap, suddenly you're, you're perfect. That's a fullness that is promised, but it hasn't come yet. That's still to come. The reality is that we do fall and we do things imperfectly. But the other side of this is that I think many of us use that reality as an excuse to keep on living in a sinful way. You know, we excuse certain patterns. We excuse just not fighting against certain things. We excuse being, you know, liquored up every day and neglecting responsibilities. We excuse addictions that we have, being addicted to pornography and being unwilling to address it and and actually do something about it, confess it. By mistreating acquaintances or even our, our spouses, we excuse it, we, we justify somehow holding on to some grudge that we've been having and, and actually relishing being angry with people. You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified. That's what we were, but we are not those things anymore. Here's the thing, you may still feel a tug for those things. And we might willingly just give ourselves over to it. But the fact of the matter is, you don't have to. Because you used to be a slave to them and you used to be powerless over them, but you're not anymore. Those things are not your master. Those things do not have a right over you. They do not have a right to have dominion over you because you belong to Christ. You are not slaves anymore. You've been set free and you can follow the Lord now. By God's grace, he will give you the help that you need. You ask him for this grace. Lord's Day 45, God will give his grace and his Holy Spirit to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and who thank him for them. We need him for this. We need him for it. But if we ask him, he will give it. This is going to be a process through your whole life. But if you sometimes through weakness fall into sin, don't despair of God's mercy, or, you know how it goes, or continue in sin. Instead, count yourselves, consider yourselves for who you are, And what is that? Dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. You're alive through Christ's spirit and by the grace of God you can live. You can live well to his glory. Amen.